So last week we wrapped up the study, <coughs> excuse me, on election, um, and that was a pretty long one. I'm like seven, eight um, different sessions there. Uh, I felt like it was necessary, just given the subject matter that we. I'm going to try to point so that I'm facing y'all, um, so that we. Um, Anytime you, you deal with uh, difficult passages or difficult ideas, doctrines, I, I think the best way to do it is to find a place in the text where it's talked about and just kind of um, dig through it verse by verse by verse. Um, at least that's the way that I find for myself to be most effective in coming to an understanding. So um, I, I appreciate y'all's patience with me pushing through that particular one. Hopefully today, now we're getting a little bit of a late start, but hopefully today um, we'll be back on track with like one one particular doctrine um, through the systematic theology study and one class to do it. And then um, from there kind of push into to history where it makes sense, or the history of that doctrine where it makes sense. Um, so today, if you, ha- I don't, I, I'm not going to ask you to, to raise your hands, but if you have been following along in the systematic theology book, um, after election comes a chapter on um, uh, essentially the effectual calling of the Spirit. Um, I'm not going to call this... Um, this particular um, study that we're doing, um, whenever you see it uploaded to the podcast, I'm not going to call it the effectual calling or anything like that. I'm just going to call it the gospel call. Okay, and as we press, <clears throat> as we press into um, this particular um, this particular idea, I want us. So we're going to be in Acts chapter two this morning. So in in Romans 9, 10, and 11, we find this particular run where um, we see uh, that faith comes by hearing, that is, hearing the word about Christ, of Christ, right? So hearing the gospel, like faith comes through the hearing of the gospel. <clears throat> now, uh, this can come from an individual uh, spending time in Scripture and the Holy Spirit speaking to that person. Um, this can come from uh, casual conversations where uh, one, at least one member of that conversation is reciting Scripture in that conversation and, and the Holy Spirit taking hold in that. Um, and then this can also come through um, the preaching of the gospel uh, like formally preaching the gospel, right? And what we're going to see today um, here is uh, we're going to look at uh, Peter's sermon at Pentecost, and we're going to kind of examine this gospel call and look for patterns within it, like things that, like, if you're thinking about for yourself, like, in the workplace, how can I be effective in sharing the gospel and know that I'm following a pattern that leads people to salvation. What does that look like? What are things that I can draw out of Scripture um, that I can apply when I am in, whether it be uh, my workplace or whether it be um, when I'm gathered with family or gathered with friends or, or perhaps um, in a class that you're teaching? Like, What are things that you should be looking for as being a part of that um, 
that gospel presentation, right? So that's kind of what we're going to be looking at today. Um, I don't want to completely bypass the uh, the idea that's presented in the systematic theology book regarding um, effectual calling of the Spirit. Um, if you are following along in the book, you'll notice this is one of the shorter chapters um, in the systematic theology book. Um, and this is also one where the majority of the effort that he spends, the energy that he spends, he doesn't spend digging into the minutia of what he means when he says effectual calling. Um, he spends more time on the presentation uh, of the of the gospel in this chapter, um, and I appreciate I appreciate that he that he does that. Um, I'm going to bring up a couple of thoughts before we get in, just to kind of like. Some of the this is one of those this is one of those areas where like election um, this is not a subject that's easy to cover in a in a single class. Um, what is tended to be, and I'm just going to use um, Grudem's words here, but then I'm going to point out that Grudem's position, even amongst like um, Reformed theologians, is not necessarily even the majority view, but there are several views that are held there. Um, and then um, if you look at other um, other uh, approaches to, to um, this idea, there are outside of like the Reformed view, um, there, are, there are other views uh, as well. So I'm going to quote from his, from, from his uh, first um, so he says, effectual calling is an act of God the Father speaking through the gospel proclamation in which he summons people to himself in such a way that they respond in saving grace. I actually really like the way that he presents that. Um, and I would agree with him in his presentation of the way that he's presented um, effectual calling here. I'm going to read it one more time just so that you kind of have it in your brain. Um, uh, 30 something. Uh, let me, let me look real quick. Um, no, I can, I can get you the, the actual, um, the actual chapter. Uh, give me one second. It may take me, I'm going to have to, oh, chapter 33. And the chapter title is the gospel call and of, and effective calling. Um, so I'm, I want to read one more time um, this. I'm actually, I'm going to, uh, before we get into Acts chapter 2, I'm going to make another, I'm going to make another qu quote of somebody that I think he presents at least this, uh, this idea uh, very, very well. Um, so one more time before we do that. Um, so Grudem um, gives kind of this adapt this definition for uh, effectual calling. He says that it's an act of God the Father speaking through the gospel proclamation in which he summons people to himself in such a way that they respond in saving grace. Now, um, another way of, of, of speaking about what most of the time is meant when you say effectual calling is a term called irresistible grace, right? And you don't necessarily get it from the way that he quotes that there at the end, but um, if you know his position on this, 
then whenever he speaks about it, um, or whenever he says this last phrase, you know what he you know what he means there, right? So the last part of this, he says, in which he summons, he's speaking about God, summons people to himself in such a way that they respond in saving faith, right? Um, and in in this view, there are. And this is where some of like the questions that come out of this are, is that there is the general call, the general proclamation of the gospel. Um, that's what happens when a preacher stands, says, thus saith the Lord, and, and calls you to respond to the gospel itself. This is what we're going to see in chapter 2, this general call. But then there would be a distinction made um, here uh, by someone who would who would kind of hold to a, an effectual calling that says there is a inner call that happens that is irresistible to the one that is called, which results in their salvation. Right um, now, um, the playing out of that, um, and that's why I say, like, when I hear this particular phrasing of it, I can get on board with that particular phrasing of it. Some of the um, some of the ways in which um, this is presented at times, um, I'm like, there's some there's some problems in the way that um, that the wording can can come out. But I, I do I do like the way that Grudem presents this. Um, so with this, I want to give a couple of different views that come about um, that um, kind of are, are in a in a line, not in alignment, um, but are in the same same area of thought in which people have are trying to figure out. Ultimately, the question is: Why is it that I can present the gospel to a room of unbelievers and not everyone come to believe? Why is that? Right? So ultimately, like this, this particular place, this particular idea and thought, or this kind of category of thought, is trying to answer that question. Why is it that when the gospel is presented, that everyone does not come to believe? Right? Why is it that some come to believe and others do not? Right? Um, so this is where, like, you would get the idea that, like, someone would say, well, some come to believe because they place their faith in that gospel, right? The Holy Spirit draws them and they believe, okay? Well, is that belief virtuous? Does, let's say Russ believes, and let's say Dustin does not. Can I look at Russ in his belief and say there's something better that Russ brings to the table for salvation than Dustin. Because if I can, then that would seem to, to draw a line between and say, well, is it all of grace? Is it? Is it all of grace if, if Russ brings this virtue to the table? Or if Russ is willing to do this type of work? Right? So there's kind of two camps that come in here or two thoughts where like, is faith a virtue? Is faith a work? Right? Is faith a thing that you bring to the table when the gospel is presented? Or is faith a gift to you when the gospel is presented? Can't right? Can it be both? Right? And this would be like a synergistic view um, but if it can be both, 
Um, those who would oppose the idea that it could be both would, would, would bring forward the idea that you bring something to the table when the gospel is presented, right? Like that's some of the tension that we have to kind of think about here. Um, and this is why when you look at this particular idea that there are different kind of camps that come out around the way that they answer that particular question. One of those camps Grudem falls into, falls into this effectual calling. He says that when the gospel is presented and the Spirit of God calls you, you are saved, right? That the call of the Spirit leads you to salvation, right? That it's irresistible. Okay? That's kind of, that's why the, the, another way of talking about this is, is irresistible grace. Right? Yeah. Well, that's, that's to believers after, right? Like, this is like, like he's speaking there to the believers in, in Romans chapter 12. So this is, this falls into the like pre, pre belief stage, right? Like the gospel is being presented. If you are in a state of being lost, right? What part of the process do you play between life and death, right? Or between death and new life? Right. And that don't mean when they leave, leave after hearing that, that they're still not thinking about it, you know, or they don't later on based on what that particular yes. said, right? So the yeah. Will so, yeah, so, so the, the freedom of the individual in that moment, to what degree does that play, right? Like, does God... In the working of the gospel, overcome the will. Um, I, I hold to a, a particular view here uh, that you you could call a, a overcoming grace, a grace that in time persuades, such that the moment of salvation it is indeed ir- irresistible, yeah. right? Yeah. But that comes through a persuasive process. Right, but for those who are called, it's ultimately effectual. Right now, that's if you're called, it's gonna happen. Yeah, whether it happens in the moment that you're called or some years later. Yeah. So ultimately, who is at work in the continual process there? Right now, even when I think about the way that I approach it, there are questions that I have. Right. There are questions that I have there where it's like, well, how does that align you with this particular view or that particular view? Um, I want to be extremely honest with you in the in presenting this, that there are times that I could be convinced in multiple directions. Right. Um, when I when I consider and this is anecdotal, but when I consider my own experience with conversion like like i love jesus now and there was a day that i didn't and there was there were moments in between but there were there was a specific moment where 
it, it followed no particular pattern that I would at the time have seen as common, right? I did not pray a particular like seance type prayer in that moment. There was a presentation of the gospel and there was a particular there was a particular thought that was placed in my mind as that presenter of the gospel spoke this truth that the seed of that idea without any like come forward pray this prayer do this particular thing caused a change and caused a change in me that like I can reflect on now and 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 say that like that like there was nothing I could do in that moment that I could have resisted him like I want like in that moment I wanted to love and cherish God and prior to that moment I did not there were moments of persuasion for sure. There were moments that I actually thought that I came to God before that moment. Right? So like, one, I'm, I'm going to list for you three, kind of in the, this is within the circles that like Grudem would find himself. Here are three particular views uh, that tend uh, to be held. So one is the non-conversionist regeneration. This would be like... Um, I probably couldn't name a person that you would know that holds this particular view, but this particular view would be like where one would find justification for like infant baptism. Um, it would it would kind of stem out of the non non conversionist regeneration, right? Like um, there wasn't necessarily a conversion experience that had to be had from from that particular individual. The cold um, need not that that moment. Um, that one's less common. Another one that's that's pretty common. Um, if you've ever read anything from R.C. Sproul, he would tend to hold to this particular view, where he would say that regeneration precedes conversion. Right? That that new life happens before you place your faith, or in in, in some regards, maybe simultaneously. Like this event happens like simultaneously simultaneously there that's a particularly popular um, approach within like reformed circles and then you have Grudem's um, Grudem's view here which is the effectual call view um, and like I say I do appreciate the way that he has approached the wording of this um, and even like I can see how how the particular view that I hold here um, I can say yes and amen to the definition that he's given for effectual calling here. Um, but I, I just want us to be aware that there are, that this is one of those areas where there are multiple, multiple ways of approaching, uh, approaching this, this idea of answering this question. Why is it that um, when the gospel is presented that all don't come to belief? Does, does the Holy Spirit work for you, believer, differently than he works for the person that walks away? Right? Because that's ultimately like the question that we need to ask ourselves is, is the Holy Spirit incapable of saving you? If he, like, an, another way that I think is like, you look at Paul on the, on the road to Damascus and like, could Paul have said no there? Like, could he? Like, like God's, God's telling this guy to go because he's a servant and he's going to show him how much he must suffer, right? Like, could he have said no there? Yeah, yeah. Stonings. But you're going to, you're going to, you're going to. 
Yeah, like this chosen vessel, this chosen vessel is going to get in. The, so like there are like this is not necessarily an easy way to approach this. So I think what we sh- what we ought to do is we ought to um, outline um, accurate ways of thinking about this idea. Um, this is where I want to quote Charles Spurgeon. Um, Charles Spurgeon has a really excellent quote that kind of comes in um, with this idea, and I I, I I I line up I line up pretty strongly with the way that he that he approaches this. So I may read this quote a couple of times before we go over into Acts. So this is this is Spurgeon here. If any of you want to know what I preach every day. And any stranger should say, give me a summary of his doctrine. Say this, he preaches salvation, all of grace, and damnation, all of sin. He gives God all the glory for every soul that is saved, but he won't have it that God is to blame for any man that is damned. That teaching I cannot understand. My soul revolts at the idea of a doctrine that lays the blood of a man's soul at God's door. I cannot conceive of how any human mind, at least any Christian mind, can hold any such blasphemy as that. I delight to preach this blessed truth, salvation of God from first to last, the Alpha and the Omega. But when I come to preach damnation, I say, damnation of man not of God. And if you perish at your own hands, must your blood be required. I think his approach, his thoughts towards this, like in who's responsible for what, is pretty spot on. You will be in heaven because of God and God alone. You will be in hell and your blood will be on your hands. Like that's two, two truths that I think um, are not difficult uh, to get behind. And I think that um, those two truths um, can be seen also throughout, uh, throughout God's word. I think when we see examples like we're going to look at today um, of the gospel being presented, I think the gospel is presenting th- those truths, right? So here we find, um, flip with me to chapter 2, verse 14. Um, This is Peter's sermon at Pentecost here. Um, Can anybody tell me what major event has happened? What is Peter in possession of now as he's stepping forward to preach this gospel? The Holy Spirit. Okay, the Holy Spirit. So... That didn't take long. <laughs> There's the bill. <laughs> I was going to shoot for getting this in in one. Um, <laughs> we, man, man, I have high hopes for this, but then. <laughs> if they do, the blood will be on their own hands. <laughs> Yes. So, um, one thing that I want, as we consider this gospel call, the first thing that I want us to see here is that the Holy Spirit is present in the one who's presenting the gospel. Right? Now, if you are, if you find yourself coming to belief alone, you had better have the Word of God with you. And in that, type of conversion where you are spending time in the Bible and it's not a preacher preaching to you and you come to believe you were preached to by the preacher. 
of the gospel. Right? So the Spirit can call you through the Word. When someone is presenting the gospel, when you are presenting the gospel, first and foremost, are you going in the Spirit? Right? Is the Spirit of God dwelling in you? Okay? So he's dwelling in Peter here as Peter steps forward, and we're gonna we're gonna read this and look for a couple of patterns that kind of jump out. So verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. I want to stop for a second and I wonder how he would have presented that had it been in the afternoon. Right? Like, like, oh, they might, you might could have said that if it wasn't so early in the day. right? So here he says... It's so early, it couldn't be that these guys are drunk. But, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So something that I want us to see here. So Holy Spirit, that's one, that's one kind of thing to keep in mind as, as we present the gospel. Like if we're going and doing things um, under our own power, under our own um, uh, means, then um, we, we are sure to fail, but um, empowered by the Spirit, sent by the Spirit, presenting the gospel, here's what he does first. He starts quoting Scripture, right? So in the presentation of the gospel, um, we need to ensure that as we are presenting the gospel, we are presenting Scripture to the hearers, whether it be in daily conversation or whether it be in a, a classroom like this or whether you be in a pulpit or whether you be um, in faraway lands as a missionary, presenting the gospel requires the Word of God. He begins his message gathering the attention of the people and presenting the Word, to God, word of God to them. So verse 17, let's see, let's see how he does this. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes and the great or the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm going to read verse 21 again. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So who's going to be saved? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
And then he goes on in verse 25, he begins quoting Scripture again, for David says concerning him. So a couple of things that I want us to, to kind of get before we get into this, this next passage of Scripture. He is presenting to them their responsibility, right? He is not alleviating them from this, right? In line with that, he is presenting a big view of God, okay? When we present the gospel, let us not present God as a, like a meager beggar. Like what happened to Jesus happened in accordance with the plan of God. He wasn't like having to figure it out in the moment. Like this happened because God is big and in control. Like let's, let's make sure that when we present God, um, we present God as who He is and as who and and as Scripture presents Him um, to us, right? So um, let us be mindful of the approach that we take when we present God um, in uh, presenting the gospel. And then he he here says, um, "You crucified and you killed by the hands of lawless men." So, like he's not in his presentation of the gospel, drawing back from the responsibility of the sinful people that he is presenting the gospel to. Okay, um, as we present the gospel, let us not, for fear of rebuke water down the reality that when you land in hell, your blood is on your hands because you are a sinner. You made yourself enemies of God. And yet God has made a way for you to know Him. Like as we present the gospel, we present a God who is in control who is powerful, who is loving, who has made a way. And we present a reality that apart from Him, you are hopeless. Right? And we do this through digging into Scripture and presenting Scripture. I'll make sure. I, we probably will not finish today. Um, I'm going to... Read through this next little piece, though. Uh, for David says concerning him. So again, now he's presenting this. He's presenting scripture before them. He says, "I saw the Lord always before me, for He is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your holy one see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will." Make me full of gladness in your presence. So again, bringing forward the scripture here and then in verse uh, 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this day that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Okay, so again, he presents scripture, and then what does he do with the scripture? What, like, 
what ought I be doing as I present the Scripture? I ought to be making known to you what's in the Scripture. Right? So that's what he's doing. He's presenting the Scripture and he's like, guys, like you had a misunderstanding about what this Scripture was saying. David's dead. You know where his grave is. This is about Jesus. So as we present the Gospel, as we present Scripture, we ought to be doing a work to clarify and move out of the way misunderstanding that people might have about the Scripture. Right? So as we present the Gospel, let us work to present the Gospel clearly. Let us anticipate the stumbling blocks that may be in front of those who are going to hear that presentation so that we can work in our preparation to help remove those so that the gospel can be presented clearly, right? The Holy Spirit, that's where the Holy Spirit is really clear to us, or can be clear to us when we're witnessing to someone. I think that's what Jesus said, don't plan what you're going to say. It doesn't mean that I don't want you to know yeah. what's going on, but every individual is different. Yeah. Yeah. And let me lead you yeah. toward a person. Jesus would take the Pharisees, he would hear their thoughts. Yeah. He? And he would answer their questions before they even asked them. Yeah. And that's what I'm beginning to think. He is really interested. Yeah. So we, we work as ministers of the word to bring the word before people clearly. Right, And the Holy Spirit works in us as presenters of the gospel. And the Holy Spirit works in the calling of the lost to himself through the presentation um, of the word. And we're going we're gonna to see that. Um, we'll stop here, um, here and we'll pick up in verse 34 next week and kind of work towards the end. Um, I would ask that you would go ahead um, and kind of just, just read through this. Um, there's going to be some interesting... Um, interesting things that we see uh, along the way. I want to point you particularly to verse 39. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now, we're going to ask the question next week when we get there, what, what, what does he mean by the wording of that, the Lord our God calls to himself? Uh, we'll end there today, um, and then next week we will we'll pick back up in verse 34.